Were ACA and Zenefits the greatest things that ever happened to our business? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Brett Brummett. Brett is the managing partner at AG Insurance Agencies. And we're going to talk today about a subject that a lot of us have been thinking about and thinking around, tinkering around the edges. And Brett's given an awful lot of thought to what we'll broadly call the evolution of the agency. With that, welcome, Brett. Thank you, David. You said something in the pre-interview that, that struck me, and I think it's a good jumping off point for our discussion. You said that the two greatest things that have happened to our business are Obamacare and Zenefits. Yeah, that is, you know, both of those within a short time period really posed one of those cataclysmic decision moments for me. And I know it was the same for several other people in our industry on the broker side, on the provider side. You know, first with Obamacare was, is our industry going to be around? Are we going to be needed? And not even so much are we going to be needed, but is there going to be a viable revenue stream to do what we do today? And so we all faced that question. And then by the time those of us that didn't, you know, hit the panic button and bail out, you know, the next thing we had was benefits and this fear of a, a mass entity and a giant money marketing guru having the ability to go AOR business that we couldn't compete with kind of shined the light on the fact that maybe our clients needed something that we weren't either trained to talk about. We didn't even understand the reality of what our clients were going through from an administration operational function and something that all of a sudden we thought we had to do. And so those two things I really think shook up Everyone in our industry first to how do you have a longevity and an existence when you're having to change the terms of what you sell, how you get compensated for you set, what you sell, and then the other vendors that are going to do the same thing because there's enough, or at least there was, and I still believe there is plenty of revenue built into the process that maybe sometimes we're not the most appropriate vendor. And that harsh reality made us take that gut check. And I think that's really put us all in that that crosshairs of how do we evolve going forward. For a lot of people, though, the, the Zenefits, the initial Zenefits thought was, oh my gosh, they're giving away free stuff. And it didn't take long, I think, for most serious practitioners to realize that that wasn't really the problem. Serious practitioners figuring out that it didn't take you know, that it wasn't all free. I do think they figured that out pretty fast, but, you know, it takes a long time for someone to get and delve down into that and see what they're giving. And just basically they're doing what we do for free and they may not be the best at it, but the other stuff they're giving away for free caused that mass hysteria of agencies and firms and solo practitioners buying things to give away to kind of be in the, we can do it too scenario. And I think that caused a lot of 
I think the fallout of it was great because we had new vendors develop product, but I think the initial motive behind it maybe was the wrong motivation just to sell, you know, to save your business. How did the industry as a whole get to be so, for lack of a better word, complacent? Without blaming, and I, I would take the blame too on this, I think we got very accustomed to a pretty fast rise in in premium from a health insurance standpoint, for sure. Maybe not on the other product lines, but of the health piece, you know, it's just not that long ago, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, when we were talking about $97 employee and $350 family rates in our region, to now where it's pretty commonplace to talk about $800 and $3,000 rates between individuals and families. And there's, even though everyone screams about reduced commissions, we got very complacent over being paid for renewal increases. And we started building bigger staffs and it was all okay. And there was enough margin that we were all able to keep adding on and keep growing and keep visioning a bigger agency to the point, I think that's actually what's led us to a lot of the conglomeration uh, mergers now, because we hit that tipping point where everyone's starting to see a slower margin of profit. And they want to go back to seeing a bigger margin of profit that got spoiled with during you know, the insurance increases, providing more revenue and not having to grow a client base. A number of years ago, uh, Newt Gingrich wrote a book about what was going on in, in the insurance industry, and it, it was pretty prescient. And he talked about the necessity of understanding the difference between reforming something and transforming something. Do you believe that what we need is a series of reforms, or are we talking full-scale transformation? I believe we need full-scale transformation from both a health provider, industry, payment, and especially on the sales organization side. I look at the sales organization today on our side much differently than I did five years ago. I am much more concerned about the things we do that have value to what someone is not necessarily willing to pay for, but so someone would want to pay for, somewhat someone needs to pay for. What are their needs? What are their pain points operationally that we have skill and scope to do on our end that maybe aren't necessarily just insurance consulting? So we've stepped outside of that. And I think that's a transformation, not so much because we're not really reforming that core need of some kind of medical care but we're transforming the things that go around it and how we talk about it and the areas that we are able to be experts in. Now, that being said, there's a lot of transformation, I believe, that needs to happen on the actual health provider side, as some of your other guests have pointed to in previous podcasts. And it is an exciting time for that part of the industry as well, for us to be able to speak about things that impact individuals, employees, corporations, and employees and dependents of corporations that we work with. And that's exciting for us. For a lot of agencies, that first step outside, as you termed it, I think was compliance that came about as a result of PPACA. Where's it gone from there? What are the, what are the newer things that you're seeing that are being transformative for agencies that are successful? The agencies that are successful are taking on not only compliance areas, learning things that they probably should have done previously. I mean, for me, I know I never had really read through every single piece of an ERISA document until the last five years. I had never gone through every page and asked what that terminology meant. So shame on me and shame on my firm for the fact that we hadn't necessarily known it to a T. 
Uh, and so the next step has been really the technologies that can impact the employees and the administration at our clients. So, you know, we got very involved with benefits administration that has now gone morphed into something much more than it originally was to where we're doing more full-blown human capital management, HRIS type system work because we see the exciting potential there as we're drilling down to the smaller clients and making ways to communicate all the way down, like I said, to the dependence of an employee which is extremely exciting. And there are lots of, of tools that are starting to come to market, and that that's exciting. I guess the, the challenge in looking at some of them is that they're not being built by folks who really understand our business. As you're selecting a, a tool for your agency, what are some of the things that you look for? Ooh, you know, the the thing that we've really learned over the past few years is that it's never going to be as good as the demo. No not critical of any vendor specifically, but you're always going to see the best thing during the demo. So for us, when selecting something, we've now gone beyond the demo, the sales rep, or even a small trial period to really ask questions about who else is an experienced user and not only just asking who has used a tool, being able to contact, reach out to them and, and find out who's not only their their subscribers or people that have bought something, but who's their power users, who's the one that pushes the envelope to know and understand where the glitch is, the parameters and, and how far you can take something. Because we've done several iterations of several different softwares and different technology vendors, and they've all been had they've all had highlights of being fantastic and they've all had a few deficiencies that we've either learned to live with or made the decision at some point in time that it's not something we can live with and we have to move elsewhere. And that's painful organizationally and that's painful for your clients too. So it's something we no longer take lightly because it's a huge, massive decision from you know your own staff's overload of technology to how much and what kind of behaviors you want to train and drive at your client side. Commission compression is, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a real thing. And yet with less top line agencies are starting to do being asked to do more things. How does that impact staff and staff training? What are the keys that you should look for in, in building that out so that you don't outkick your coverage? You know, the first thing, and that's a great point talking about staff and staff training, because you can't do it all on your own anymore, or you have to be very clear about what you're able to do and do well. So being able to grow staff, I believe it's real important to take what you're taking on, how not to outkick that coverage, so to speak, is do you have the right people or can you get the right people to facilitate on a promise of a service delivery and is there enough revenue behind it? So I look at things from the standpoint of I'm willing to take a loss as we develop a service line for sure, but can I at least come close to breaking even at 50% of what I'm going to spend on technology and staff that first year so that we can get to a break even the second year so that we can have a profitable line for the third year? Because having a fee-for-service line of service, which I think is paramount to survival, is something that you need to build now so that you're not caught by surprise with commission compression or even at certain areas, maybe things where commissions disappear completely. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years experience working with educational institutions. And over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, 
These groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. If you're an agency that's used to operating solely on commission, it's scary to start having that fee-for-service conversation. And for some agencies, it's scarier to have it internally than it is to have it with prospect and clients. What are the things that you need to think about, both internally and externally, if you're going to move all or some of your compensation into that fee-for-service model? You know, internally... I don't think I realized how scary it was until I was sitting in front of our crew and vocalized that reality that we have to evolve or, you know, the money to keep the lights on aren't there. And that it was a freeing moment to be as transparent as that with everybody, but to look everyone in your agency and your organization's eyes and basically tell them, hey, I didn't really mean to put it this bluntly, but all of our jobs are on the line here if we don't evolve. And so that has become one of those moments where you move forward and you have no turning back. It's clear. Everyone understands it. Everyone had that aha, oh no moment at the same time. And everyone knows what they have to do to survive and move forward. And it's rough to go through that transition. And it's even rougher for your organization to believe in that transition. And so you have to keep saying it over and over again. There's no turning back once you, you know, once you pull the curtain back. But I think it's also one of the most freeing areas for the organization. Uh, The surprising side is it's much scarier to do in your own internal organization than it is to tell your clients. Having that conversation of, hey, this is coming. It's not necessarily here today, but we need to talk about the reality of our business relationship together. You know, Today, maybe I'm someone that takes commission as my sole area of revenue between that client relationship. Let's talk about it. Hey, not even necessarily in this flat dollar terms, but in the terms of, you know, today in the reality, we're paid by, you know, the insurance carrier to do X, Y, and Z. It looks like that won't be a relationship that's maintainable in the years coming forward from the insurance provider side. Our relationship will have to change. I'll give you a good heads up so that we can have a clear understanding of that going forward. And it's just that simple seed you're planting so that it's not that drastic thing of, hey, by the way, we've done XYZ and all of a sudden it's going to be $5,000 this year. Are you okay with that? And that's a bombshell to drop on a client. Uh, and, and no one wants that on the agent broker side, the client side. And I would say even the vendor side doesn't necessarily want that, but I don't think they're as cold-hearted as I might make them out to be from time to time. So you just need to kind of ease into it and prepare clients in advance? Yeah. I mean, that's the best advice I can give anyone is number one, be transparent with your own internal staff of where you're going and what you have to do, but then ease your clients into it because everyone's going to believe it. the more you talk about it. We're in the new age of truthiness. Uh, the more you talk about it, the more it becomes reality. And while that may be not appropriate in some areas, as you talk about the future of your agency and you know where you're going, I think you do have to talk about the reality that maybe you don't live in today, but you're 
you're going to so that everyone understands it and it does become that shared collective truth in your own organization. And that helps people have those conversations with clients. Once everyone really believes it internally, having that external conversation is a whole lot easier. One of the other things that I know a lot of agencies struggle with is whether to insource or outsource. So how do you determine what you do in, in-house and what you go outside for and how important as we go forward in transforming the agency structure, how important are strategic partnerships going to be? Ooh, it is probably the million dollar question. A lot of agencies look at outsourcing some of the technology and some of the implementation and execution from, you know, just say it's something basic like a benefits administration. I don't mean to say that benefits administration is simple, but it's too involved from a enrollment standpoint and maintenance. That is very easy to outsource. We looked at outsourcing that and just had that really unknown, uncomfortable feeling that that's a lot of our client data we're giving to somebody else and it's going to live in someone else's laptop and someone else's office, possibly in someone else's car in another state. And while we can't control every security protocol, obviously, we've seen that time and time again, no company can control every security protocol. It was really important for us to do that with internal staff, employees of our firm, our own servers, or our own subscriptions so that we were protective of our clients' data and where they were going. So that was the very first, you know, where are you comfortable wise? But there's also the, do you have the skill set either as the producer, as the support staff, as the management team to pull off something? And it's hard. I mean, it is not easy. We have delved into really, really complex stuff and you know, it would have, we would have been better served from an operational standpoint to outsource a few of the things when we get to the complex stuff. But we are a lot more knowledgeable and have become a lot more of the industry experts on certain items because we've taken off a really big challenge and we've found a way to be successful. And it's real empowering. So how do you make that decision? It's a super personal decision for each agency, but it shouldn't be one taken lightly. Yeah, that applies to technology, but it also applies to lines of service, doesn't it? For example, if you want to offer retirement services and you don't have anyone in your office for whom that's a specialty, the decision still hire it or hire it out, right? It is. I mean, and that's actually a great example for us. That's something that our firm does not have internally. We do not touch and don't have an internal resource for that. So we have outsourced the retirement piece. And that's been a fine decision for us. It's not something that we look at and doubt and its ability for us to have trusted partnerships. But again, that's one of those things you're very concerned about when you introduce someone or you introduce a vendor for that, that you want to know they're going to be there, find out what the track history is, figure out who else has used them and get some very, very solid user end user experience and testimonials and not the testimonials someone puts on their website, because those are obviously the best of the best, but I mean, raw, unfiltered, unfettered feedback. How important is it if you're, if you're creating a strategic partnership to make sure that there's also a cultural match between the two firms? That is huge. The cultural match, you know, who who are you in business for? Are you in business for yourself? Are you in business for your clients? The answer is both. And then how do you approach that interaction and that dynamic piece and how do they approach it? it it's a huge, huge piece. And I don't think it's something you can actually figure out in your first few interactions. I think you actually have to go down and, and see what it's like to dance with a dance partner. But 
I think it's very good to be clear about what your expectations are of that strategic partnership. And all too often, I see that as a, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. We'll be perfect. We'll be the greatest. If someone tells me that, I am not going to do business with them. If they tell me it's always rosy and sunny, it's over. It's, it's a non-starter. I need to know where the deficiencies are, what you excel at and what you don't excel at. You know, maybe you don't have to be super truthful with what you don't excel at with me, but you have to be at least reflective enough to know that you have some, some boundaries to that I take you seriously. And that's just having learned the lesson the hard way of not doing due diligence. Would you suggest in those situations that maybe folks start with a more limited engagement? I would totally expect the limited engagement. Tell someone, hey, we're going to go down this road. We're interviewing or you look like you might work well with us. Let's try five clients and see how it goes. Let's get everything on the table, learn how each other works, learn the dynamic of the interaction. And then, you know, the same thing applies when you have organizations. They take on the personality of those involved. And so you kind of learn how they work together. And you have to be really clear and honest when it's not working. And I think that's the biggest disservice you can do to a strategic partner is to not be blunt when something's not working out the way you expected it to be, because they may not have a clue, not not having a clue in a bad way, but they just not have a clue because you're not giving them the appropriate feedback to do the job you're asking of them. We've got a minute or two left, and, and I'm interested in what your view is on what this all looks like in the future as we go forward and, and characterize it how you will short-term, mid-term, long-term, five years from now. What What's your vision? How do you see agencies evolving and surviving? I think you're going to see in the midterm area, so not immediately this year or next year, but in the next five years, I think you'll see a huge dynamic shift to fee-for-service consulting, non-insurance revenue paid for both insurance consulting and non-insurance consulting. I think that'll become rampant and like wildfire in the next five years. Now, long-term, I think you'll probably see it kind of come back to center to where there's going to be a blend of some things are commission generating, some things are commission plus consulting, some things are pure consulting. The bright and shinies, I think you'll have a whole lot of better disclosure. And I don't mean disclosure like a government form where you sign something that you don't understand, but a lot of more upfront conversation of what everyone's doing, who's responsible for what and how it's going to get done, as well as performance guarantees. And I think those are going to be huge. And I think that's what will be in the long term. In the short term, I think it's just going to continue to be more brokers getting into more areas that they're learning. And that's actually pretty exciting, especially when you talk about technology, because the price point of entry is becoming so much less. And the products that we're able to use today and that are being marketed to our firms, my firms and everyone else's are so much more usable and better. And it's really, really exciting from that standpoint to me for the industry. Come back and visit with us again, and, and, and we'll see kind of where this is all driving. Brett Brummett, Managing Partner at AG Insurance. Brett, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with our audience. Thank you. The Shift Shapers Podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.